Welcome to Vino Week, episode 54. Welcome to Vino 101. I'm Bill. Hello, everybody. It's Al. We're back for another podcast, Vino 101. <laughs> back on the Lots air. Lots of exciting and wonderful topics. That's right. We're, uh, <laughs> we podcast as regularly as sort of, uh, you know, the wine season allows us. Or in this case, is the beer season might. So we'll, we'll talk about that shortly, I'm sure. Um, but what uh, do you want to no, start? No. Let's, let's just start. That. Okay. Let's start with that beer right now. Bill. All right. <laughs> Go ahead. Dad. All right. Well, it's, so at this time of year here in Sonoma County, the, uh, some of our lovely local breweries release special beer. And in the case of uh, probably made most famous by Russian River, and the release of their uh, triple IPA. I think it's a triple IPA. Uh, Pliny the Elder. Um, yep, sorry. Pliny the Younger. Pliny the El- Elder is available all year round. It's just double IPA. All year round. Yeah. They're lovely beers. Pliny's lovely. And people come from all over the place to uh, try this beer. And in fact, I was in downtown Santa Rosa yesterday morning about 9 o'clock. And there was a line around the block trying to get in line waiting for Pliny. Um, there's there's also another brewery that releases a... Um, uh, a double IPA um, called uh, Hen House, and their their <laughs> their beer is called the Big Chicken. And so I had the Big Chicken yesterday, um, uh, and it's very good. It's got a lot of tropical fruit in the beer when you taste it. So a lot of banana, mm-hmm. pineapple, a little mango. Um, and, but what's interesting about these two breweries is that to me is that the Hen House folks have sort of gone to a separate strategy in terms of marketing and selling their beer than Russian River. So Russian River does a limited release. You have to come to the brewery to get it. Um, and it, you know, it sells out in a couple of weeks. Um, both of them do. Hen House has a little bit different strategy. They allow the, um, uh, they effectively distribute the beers. Um, and they sort of market to the individual bars or establishment that sells the beers and kind of give them some marketing things. So, for example, we have a market um, – uh, like an organic grocery store here in Sebastopol called Community Market. They have a tap room in their um, in their facility, and they have a sign for this this beer called the Big Chicken. And every year they give away tags, these little stickers that look exactly like the renewal stickers for your uh, license plate in California. Um, and so I noticed that yesterday that they are they're actually doing that kind of stuff. It's kind of interesting. Um, but the beer, there, there's some debate about the big chicken I've seen in the, in the, in the beer world that it should be called an imperial IPA versus a double IPA. Um, it's all technical sort of like if you're a beer geek, you might care. Um, other interesting sort of beer things that are happening, the international, I guess it's beer week, international beer week opened in San Francisco at a big tasting on Friday night. Um, and yep. we were in Seismic, and in Seismic, they were they had a live stream camera from their booth at the tasting into their tasting room in Sebastopol. So you could sit in the tasting room at Sebastopol and watch people tasting beer in San Francisco. It was kind of it was it was uh, very twenty first century. Let me say that. That's so cool. Yeah, that's nice. I like that idea. Yeah, a couple of people actually were aware that the camera was there, and they were you know my. Uh, my 11-year-old came in. Hamming from, it up. Yeah, it was pretty funny. But anyway, Big Chicken. We were on to the Big Chicken. Big Chicken versus... I haven't had Pliny yeah, the went, Younger uh, but yet this year, but it's delicious. Yeah, I went downtown um, 
actually I drove past downtown also to see all the people lined uh, up. Yeah. <laughs> lined up to get the um the Pliny. And uh I just every time I go by I shake my head. It's like I really enjoy beer, but I'm not standing in line <laughs> to have that beer no. just on the time. No. And then I actually drove by um I thought uh, I'll be really clever because it's Friday and I'll roll by right when the hen house opens because it just happens. It's not, it's about it's 10 minutes morning. from my office. It's, uh, yeah, I'll roll by there real quick. I didn't get by till about maybe two o'clock, I want to say. And I think they open, maybe they opened at like one. They don't open that early. There were cars lined up all along really? the road on both sides. And there's hardly ever any cars. Their parking lot was full and there was a line around the building. So there goes my plans to get any of that you know, yeah. at the source. But I think they have it at um, um, uh, Ale House right in town here. At Hot Monk? Um, which one? Uh, Hot Monk, I believe, has yep. it. And because when I was downtown, actually, I was downtown um, Sebastopol um, at the new restaurant, um, uh, Portico. And as I walked, I couldn't find parking. <laughs> There's no parking in downtown Sebastopol. So business is good, man. That's good. Everyone was going to, yeah, going to find the big chicken. Yeah. But it's, it's, I think it's rated in the beer magazines. I think it's rated, it's actually rated as an American Imperial IPA. Oh, it's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. But um, I, I had several friends uh, text me about the big chicken and uh, wanted to meet up. And actually, I have a, a friend that actually works for Hen House. And I thought I had it inside. So I texted him on friday hey what's going on you know how about some of that big chicken he goes man we're all sold out <laughs> like, oh, geez. that's great so do you know how much like, you know, two, two or three days i think yeah do you know how much they produce by any chance uh that i don't know no yeah. i sure don't well this year is really interesting good. with pliny because you can buy bottles they're they're actually selling bottles of Pliny, which is the first time ever. Plus, they have you know they have their new location in Windsor, so I'm actually I actually want to try, or at least I'd like to try to to get this done. Try both of them because they're brewed in two different locations. So I wonder, you know, if there's I, I assume there'll probably be subtle differences, um, but I wonder if they you know how material the differences will be. Um, yeah, but yeah, Pliny the Younger tastes like a is. Uh, both of these beers are beers you drink that you don't think you're drinking the amount of alcohol in the beer. Um, they're they're very hot in terms of alcohol. I think big chickens. They're both 10. over point two. Oh, they're they, over ten percent. Yeah, they they. So I was at Hop Monk. Um, well, I was at the Twin Oaks Roadhouse. We we're coming back from a basketball game yesterday, so we had the big chicken there. They said it was eleven two there. Um, Jeez. yeah, oh well, and I don't, you know, it's worth looking it up. I don't know exactly what it is, but the, um, and I'm sure Pliny, I thought Pliny was 10, nine, but somebody, I, somebody as bar is like, no, it's over 11 too. And I'm like, oh, okay. I don't, you know, <laughs> needless to say over 9% with beer. It's hot. Yeah. You don't need, I mean, you, I mean, if you really want to feel, I mean, really, really super good, have two big chickens and a shot of your favorite tequila and yeah, good night. That's right. <laughs> yeah. that's, at least that's what it would be for me. <laughs> yeah, that would be good. Yes. Yep. You can just turn out the lights after that. 
and just be so yeah but it, actually your point that it's it's extremely tasty and you don't really realize you know how powerful it is that that really makes it you know that increases the popularity it's a really well crafted beer yeah so and and, and uh, both uh, to, to be clear both of them are um and they're yeah. they are uh, you know if you're you know if you're if you're into sort of the you know the the uh, the travel and, and tourism around it they they are events so you know standing in line isn't boring um you'll meet other people who are into you know doing this yeah. so you know it's not like it's um um you know if you're into that kind of thing if they're good events to go to plus you can hit two of them sort of in one weekend um if you're really into that and if you wait a weekend or two Probably shouldn't have to stay stay in line. Plus, if you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, the Big Chicken is probably around somewhere, you know, at a at a brew pub or a a bar near you. Um, you know, they seem to make it much more available. Plus, I think they could just make more beer. I think their production facility is pretty big. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I think the chickens. Well, at at the at the brewery itself, I think it sells out. In just, a, I mean, if you went like there today, it might not, they might be out of it. Yeah, like you said, they distribute it everywhere, so you can find it, which is really cool. Yep, yep. So, a, so somebody told me it's out. Take. It's out at Hot Monk already. Somebody told me it was out yesterday at Hot Monk, here in town. Okay. So well, I, I don't have to worry about that, then, do I? Well, I don't know if <laughs> I guess that's I can true. Go to community I, market. Yeah, I, they were out. They only had a quarter. The market was out. Also? Yeah, they only had a quarter barrel. They only had a quarter barrel, and they were out. Yeah, you got to act. Uh, you got to act pretty quickly. Well, maybe next year. Yeah, I'll, you know, get some chicken. You know, who knows? I, I, yeah, it's probably. I, do they? They? Uh, they put that stuff in cans, don't they? Don't they can that stuff? Yes. So they can it? Yes. Yeah, it's around. Well, I'm headed out towards Petaluma today, right. so I'll I'll swing by the House of Barrels, and if there's any chicken there, I'll. Hen House is another location in Petaluma, across from Lagunitas, called the House of Palace of Barrels. Um, yep, yep. And so I'll I'll swing by there, see if it's there. If it's there, I'll bring you. I'll bring All you right. a chicken. All right, please do. If you're if you're down there, that'd be great. Yeah, I'll I'm let around. You know. I'm but around. let's uh, let's move on to some uh, wine talk and. Um, we're going through an interesting period right now. Um, I think we talked about this on our some of our previous podcasts. We just have too many grapes that are growing on the West Coast. Yeah. So I think a lot of people would be surprised to know, you know, one part about winemaking is the fact that, you know, they go out, they pick the grapes, uh, they go, the grapes go through the process, and then you know, the wine is bottled and then it's on the market. A lot of people think that that's the way the market works. And it's sort of kind of the way the market works, but really the way the market works is that those wines are made and then they are stored in big tanks. Yeah. And then they're bid on. People come by, taste the tanks, and they decide if they want to buy that particular lot. That's how a lot of wine is sold. That's how the bulk of wine is actually yeah. made. Yep. But, so this this yep. this glut refers to, you know, 
it's this glut is really not we're not referring to the hundred and seventy five or two hundred and fifty dollar bottles of Cabernet. That's not the market that's really gonna be um affected. We're talking about the, the base market or the 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 entry market for wines. But the fact remains is um the latest report that came out is that there's more than five hundred and ninety thousand acres of vineyards in California and experts say that more than 30,000 of them need to be ripped out to balance uh, the oversupply in the market. I, I do and I do want to point that, out that it's the bankers that are saying that the crop size has to be reduced. <laughs> the bankers, yes, yes. that report came from Silicon Valley Bank. I just want to, those are the investors. I just want to say, I just want to point that out. Not the people that actually you, have to do the work. What are you saying, Bill? What are you saying? I, it's, it, well. Break it down here. Um, they're, sort of to your point, I mean, this is a market, right? So they're saying that if you want to keep the prices where they are, the bankers think that they have to reduce the crop size. Um, you can probably find a marketer or a business person that says, no, we just need to increase the amount of consumers that drink our wine or get them to drink more. Bingo. So, and, and that, and this is a problem because this is all in my mind. Um, well that I should say that is the problem or the opportunity because loosely in my mind, loosely related to all this is the next generation of wine consumers, not consuming as much wine, um, as a previous generation. So we're talking about millennials who are much more, um, diverse in what they drink, um, you know, they're, they drink spirits, they drink wine. Um, you know, one of these articles mentioned that, oh, they, they don't have as much purchasing power because they're, they all have student debt. Well, that's not entirely true. That's a, that's, that's a gross overgeneralization. And, and um, I don't think clearly, clearly understands the market. I would just say that these, that the millennials and the internet is a big part here have much more exposure to alcoholic beverages than any other generation. So they hear about wine. Wine is just one thing because now they can understand the nuances of wine by reading stuff on the internet globally. They can understand spirits. And then we have all these new beverage categories that are popping up. Um, you know, we've talked about White Claw before in here before. I think it's hilarious that there's a fermented, they're drinking malt liquor. Um, I mean, it's not yes. technically. I mean, it's not technically malt liquor, but it's still a brewed, not a distilled beverage. Yeah, and you know they think they're drinking seltzer water with vodka in it. It's like, no, sorry, you're drinking, you're drinking like gluten stripped beer with lime flavoring. Um, anyway, the point is, is that yeah, the the um, the wine market and is sort of under pressure, and this grape glut is a good example of it. And most of the stuff, to yeah. your point, gets made into bulk wine. It gets tanked, and then it gets, you know, I changed the flavor profile a little bit by adding, um, adding or, um, you know, adding something to the wine or taking something away, or just changing the label and marketing under different labels. And, you know, there you there go. 80% of the wine the like change. that. Yeah, it's like beer. Yeah, I mean, it's, unless you've been inside a production facility, I mean, you can't. I mean, this is like insider baseball, but I mean, if you're in a, a larger winery, 
and they're they're ripping off a production and you're watching all the bottles fly by and the, the label says you know uh pq5 or whatever cabernet you're thinking wow okay and and you could come back a few hours later and that line will have a different uh the bottles ripping by will be a different label yeah. they'll still be pulling from the same tank exactly same one yeah. And then they'll just they'll just be some some person in the marketing department. They'll be making up the back label and you know putting some nonsense on there and saying, but it's the same line. Uh, it's just like it, yeah. It's just like soap and coke. There's a brand manager who's responsible for that label and brand, and they carry a number and they have a pro- profit and loss statement. They have P and L. It's their business, but it's all coming from the same tank, and they compete <laughs> against each other. Who can sell the same juice? Know. To the same people in different places and make more money. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Hey, I, you know, I'm, I don't think we're really like, we're not, you know, letting the cat out of the bag. I mean, a lot of people know this, but I think your average consumer, you know, they, they may actually think in some ways, I mean, the marketing department goes a long way to ferment this idea that, you know, there's a farmer out there. He's out there walking <laughs> out. I have a story. He's touching the grapes. Yeah. <laughs> hand know? picking each berry. Exactly. Hand picking each grape. Yes. Yeah. You know, like Ted <laughs> Lemon at Litter Eye. Yeah. I'm hand selecting each grape. Yep. Nope. The and tractor's I don't, I, ripping know, I don't it mean off. To make fun of it, but I mean, it, it is a business. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. This is what's going on. So, um, you know, you saw also um, recently that. Uh, uh, Two Buck Chuck lowered the price. I know. And now know. it's actually Two Buck Chuck again. Yeah. I, I was like. It was, it was, when I saw that. So it was, was Two Buck and 50 Cents Chuck for a while. Yeah. But out here in California, it's Two Buck Chuck again. Yep. And that's just a, that that's a barometer. And, and just really just shows you that, you know, d- don't get it twisted, man. These people that are selling these bottles of Two Buck Chuck, you know, $1.99 a bottle, they're, they're making money. Yeah. You know, they're not. In, this is a business. They're making money. They're just making less money. But they figure instead of, uh, you know, this wine just sitting over here and getting old, because at some point, I mean, you saw this with um, Treasury Estates years ago. They had all this wine and tank in Australia. They had to friggin they had to distill it because it just got old and, you know, it, it expired in the tank. So, you know, <laughs> bro, I see you just die laughing over there. But this is what happens. So this wine has to move. So do you want to do you want to stick your price at two fifty, keep it there, or do you want to just lower the price? And they had a nice twist. They said um, I forgot what their twist was, but it was all about how they care about the consumer and they really wanted to, you know, you know, make make this concession for the consumer. But the the bottom line is, for us, for for us regular people that buy wine, for the next few years. We're going to have a pretty good selection of wines and the wines at the price points that there are right now. If you're out and you're buying a wine, say, for uh, a, a Sonoma County Cabernet and it's a decent quality, let's say it's $12, $13, $14 a bottle or whatever that you pay for it. That same bottle at that same price point is going to be better juice in the next year, in years to come because there's just so much stuff out there that – Better wine is going to be going into um, uh, lower price points, and it's it's going to be a win win for the consumer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that really is that 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 is the um, the net net. 
I also I as much as I like to to ridicule and make fun of the bankers, um, they, you know, the laws of supply and demand are are real, and and you know you would, you know, you can, you as a business person who's at the end of this chain producing the you know the raw ingredient that makes up the product you'd probably be wise to really think carefully about your strategy um in terms of production it may not make sense there's one article in here he's specifically talking about sonoma county which i think is the same one i'm i'm, I'm referencing about the bankers <clears throat> and that you know this sort of grape glut's really going to hurt the small you know small grower you know because of the the production is really pushing prices down. Um, you know, there's a lot of price pressure. And, you know, yeah. if you're carrying debt, if you have a small vineyard and you're carrying debt, you know, what are you going to do? You know, you can't really service your debt. Um, the bank, you know, the bank's going to be, you know, hey, you need to keep growing to pay off. I don't care how much you're making. You need to keep bringing that cash flow in to service your debt. And so, right. um, you know, all of these things could lead to... Um, you know, they, they will, they could potentially help depress the market actually overall, you know, people can't, people, people can't make enough money off the product they're growing. They can't service their debt. And that just has a cascade effect. Um, well, some people may switch crops, which you may see, or you might see what, what we're seeing in Sonoma Valley anyway, what I see, cause I travel through there all the time is I'm seeing a lot of land that's, um, vineyards are being pulled. And they're just being allowed to go fallow. They're going fallow. And, yeah. And uh, I mean, the the producers that are doing that are producers that have been, been in the, have been in the business for quite some time. So, you know, they, you know, to your banking point, they can afford to do this because maybe they don't even own, maybe they don't have any debt to service on that plot. So, you know, they can afford to pull back and, and, and not have as much juice in the facility. One thing I noticed also, uh, just going through, and I'm speaking just of Sonoma Valley with this thought, is that I noticed, and I don't know if this is because of the fires that we had last year, but there's a large amount of acreage, especially um, closer to uh, San Pablo Bay, where the grapes were never picked. They're just... I mean, you can see now that they're pruning or getting ready to prune when you drive by, you can just see all these shriveled up dried grapes that are on the vines. And uh, I mean, <laughs> if you're not, if you're growing a crop and you're farming it and you're not picking it, you're cutting your losses. I mean, you've already, I've lost money, so I'm not going to lose any more money by picking this yeah. product Do <laughs> those trying to market it and sell it. Yeah, I was thinking, are they smoke tainted those grapes? They just decided to leave them on there. It's hard to tell. I don't know if they're smoke tainted or they just couldn't have. They couldn't find anyone that wanted them. I'm not sure, but they are in that Sonoma Valley, and that valley got a lot of smoke. So yeah. I mean, it could be a little bit of both. Well, you know, they're really, um, you know, the, that valley in general is just, you know, with the, you know, between the gap and the valley, the Petaluma Gap and the valley itself. I mean, that all trucks out, you know, down over to san pablo bay i mean in terms of wind flow and stuff so yes. you know if they're sort of right on that you know northern you know crescent of the bay a uh, san pablo bay i could easily see where some of that stuff got smoke tainted um yeah and it's in you know they 
you know, if that was the case, hopefully, and it's a larger winery, they probably have insurance for that type of stuff. I would think. Um, I but don't get me started, though. <laughs> don't get me started. I, am I pulling? Am Why I? Did you say the I word? Am I triggering you? No, it's well. I mean, the theory. The theory is. The theory is you have insurance for this type of stuff. Now, whether or not you can file a claim and get it get it paid, well, that's a different conversation. You need lawyers for that. Exactly. Just and because you, you have insurance doesn't mean you'll be made whole. Yeah, well, I'll leave it know, at that. There are big. There are big <laughs> businesses that they will be made whole because they have all the people to make them whole between the you know the lawyers and the money. You and I, yeah. boy, if we were doing this, yeah, we'd just be selling, selling, <laughs> trying to make up the loss somehow. Exactly, man. You know, you got to buy the insurance, but I mean, it's not, it's not absolutely sure. I mean, you might get paid you, and, and, and in any event, it's going to take some time for you to get paid. They're going to string it out. I think the biggest thing with insurance so. that I've seen is just it's, it's timing. It's timing. Yeah. I mean, we're just from the 17 fires. I mean, it's re I mean, people have just sort of in the last six months, you start to see, I mean, there were people earlier who had, you know, rebuilt and recovered, but it's been, you know, they said it was going to be two plus years and it, you know, anecdotally, the few people I know that were affected by it. Yeah. It took like 18 months to two years to kind of get the settlements in to the point where they could start yeah. to, to start work really. And I'm not talking about clearing land and stuff. I'm talking about building buildings. And gotcha. the other thing I'll yeah. say anecdotally is like building costs keep, you know, I keep hearing the the building cost per square footage going up. So it and I'm just taking that as a sign there's a lot of people in, in construction right now, so, you know, material and labor are expensive. But you know, uh, insurance is it, it, you got to have it as you say, but at the same time it's not a panacea for um, you know, some disaster. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've just talked to so many people that have had insurance, and I mean, just even related to the fires, just dealing with the insurance companies. Yeah. I mean, there's some good stories. Yeah, but they're but so rare. It could be it could be one of those things where the bad stories are the ones that stick in your head or something. But I mean, uh, you know, I just think it's. Yeah, it's the insurance company's job to minimize the amount of money they pay out. It just is. It's just that's just the nature of the company. And so this grape glut too, I think, is interesting. Is it just it's not just related to the United States? I mean, in France, which there, you know, you posted this article about, um, you know, Bordeaux prices falling out, the bottom falling out of Bordeaux prices to the point where you know the average Bordeaux is what a dollar a liter. It's like cheaper yeah, than it's, water. It's it's cheaper than water. Yeah, it is. And we're not talking about That's, they had a fancy word for the higher end Bordeaux. I think they called them the classed Bordeaux maybe. Anyway, <laughs> um the um you know, this is a you know, this is all about sort of the the average, you know, probably like the average wine people drink, you know. Um but that's pretty dramatic. You know, um uh, the the cost of this wine 225 liter barrel is a thousand dollars for the that's so low vintage. That yeah i can't even fathom it some of it has that's gone a... yeah for and so that that 1026 bucks is 930 euro 
they uh, there are some transactions as low as seven hundred euro for the same grapes. So yeah, well for that for that price, you can't even cover your farming cost. I mean, that's what they're saying, and the cost the cost to make it you you can't even cover it. So you're just basically staying in business and hoping like the next year is better. Is is that the is that what's going on here? I you know I don't. My my guess is if you go talk to these producers, there's like, ah, you know, I'll tell you about my dad in these years, my grandfather in these years, my great grandfather in these years. We've been there, done that. Um, just because you know, when I think of the longevity of, I always think of Etienne Hugel who said, you know, I've, you know, my family's been making wine longer than America's been a country, so, you That's- know. You know, I, I, I think, I don't know, you know, I don't know uh, any of that sort of at this regional business level there. But, you know, if they if they have money that they owe the banks, the banks want the money, period. doesn't matter. Or they'll take the land and yeah, then the banks true. will sit on the land. Because, yeah. you know, I think this particular article, we're talking about vineyard, we're talking about vineyards that are in... Um, less prestigious areas and probably in uh, frost prone areas They're probably not the not the highest quality uh, vineyard land yeah um so um you know the the french government has for years been trying to get these people to to not grow grapes essentially and uh you know somehow get them out of the out of the business because they have the same thing going on over there that we have they have too much wine they have too many vines in the ground and um in in bordeaux in particular there's just too many grounds too many vines in the ground so um you know you know who who's going to close up their farm i mean it's that's what it comes down to right yeah you know is you know joe across the way or is it going to be you know um you know Gerald over on the other side. I mean, who are you going to, like you said, these are family farms, you know? So what the French government has been doing is they've been subsidizing these farmers, yeah. which is what we do. We do the same thing. Yeah. In the eighties, in the eighties in Wisconsin, I distinctly remember a program called pick payment in kind. And so that it was a program where you did not plant certain crops. So the government would pay you not to plant. And the yeah. net, the net net on the what the farmers would tell us are, Oh, the people who are using pick are people who should not be farming because they don't know what they're doing. That was really mm. like they were they were seen as bad business people and bad farmers, um, and and not uh, not necessarily a badge of honor. It, it was the the mentality was really interesting. You know, on on one on one you know one view, maybe a naive view is. As I was thinking this, you know, it's like, wow, you don't have to do any work and they're going to pay you. Why wouldn't you take that program? Yeah. You know, yeah. It, you know, it's, you know, that's what you'd expect maybe from, um, from somebody who was in the business. And there were other farmers who were like, no, that basically, basically what the farmers were saying is you, you did not understand the market and you overproduced and, and, and you made that error, the judgment of making that decision, um, they had good evidence of why that was a bad decision. I mean, they could lay out all the sort of rationale for why they were deciding not to do that. Yeah. Or it could be a, a geopolitical event, you know, um, and really I'm going to mention a bad word tariffs, but this is happening with our soybean farmers here. Yeah. They're being paid not to farm, 
but it's not because they didn't plan out and didn't understand the market. It's because the government changed their views on the, the tariff structure. So, you know, they don't have anybody to sell to. So if the government says, or our government says, well, you got anybody to sell to. We understand it's a tough position. Here's what we're going to do. We'll pay you not to plant your soybeans. And that's what's going on. So, I mean, it's, it, you know, I, I, my usual phrase, farming ain't easy. I mean, no. you can get hammered by Mother Nature. Or you can get hammered by uh, geopolitical events. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of things that happen. But the bottom line, farmers will always find a way to survive and keep their land for the most part. It's that's, um, that's, that's what they want to do. Yeah. Um, it seems, this is very anecdotal, but where I went to high school, many of the, um, many of my peers that I was in high school with that went back to the farm, they have now ended up as a manager of their farm having to sell it to a corporation. Um, which is, you sell know, their farm. Yeah, they had to basically sell their farm to a company wow. to a farming corporation, and you know the deals are often you can you know you effectively like if there's a house on the property you get to keep the house, but you're you're the farming manager, so you do the same job you did every day, but you don't own that land anymore. The the corporation owns the land. You just work there, and you may or may not Man, own the house. Yeah, and this is happening. Just follow there, huh? Yo, this is happening all over the Midwest. It's just because the means of production and distribution are such that they have to, they have to, they they can't make enough money to to pay for themselves and any and if they have any debt, and even if they didn't have debt, they just can't make enough money to survive. So, and there aren't, you know, it isn't. I know people here in California that do things like. You know, they have a day job somewhere, so they go do the day job and they go home and work at the farm and they can, you know, kind of keep things sustained that way. Well, there aren't that many opportunities for that in the Midwest, so um, this is a thing. Um, and I, you know, I think, you know, it, it's just with, you know, the farming technology we have today, it's just we we overproduce. And here, we're, you know, we're talking about overproduction of luxury good here. So, and the market will correct. The market will correct. Um but it's interesting, you know, this is definitely, these are big numbers in terms of the amount of, you know, overproduction, I guess. And you were seeing it with the great prices or, you know, Bordeaux is now cheaper than water. Yeah. Certain types of Bordeaux. Yeah. We, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, I mean, okay. you know. They, the, bottom, the bottom line, Bordeaux. Yeah. The premiumization, if you're going to produce a luxury good, I mean, it's, you're going to make more money. Just, that just, it, yeah, I mean, I went to the. I was at a Bordeaux tasting lab, shoot, lab, a couple of weeks ago, and I I think just about every bottle in the room was probably seventy dollars or more a bottle. <laughs> That's like five so, percent of the market. We're not talking about those people. <laughs> yeah, well, and but conversely, many of those people, per you know, they only make a small amount of revenue from that specific type that wine, and the. You know, they might maybe they make twenty percent off those that um, that specific that specific wine, and the rest of it is this bulk wine. I don't want to say bulk wine, but not as classed Bordeaux in this case. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, yeah, they they do have they got they're playing both sides of the street. Yep. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yep, yeah. but but 
you know, is that as pressure is put on both sides, I mean, that's, you know, and, it, you know, so imagine, you know, the economy's globally is decent right now. If that takes a turn for the worst, man, it could, things could change. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think, well, we, I think we beat the great plug to, to death. Bill. What's that? Yeah. Let's pivot back to insurance, man. <laughs> um, did you, uh, I sent you an article about um, KUs. Did yeah. you see that? Yep. They're they're suing um, KUS's insurance company is suing their cork provider. So uh, Lafitte had these corks that they sent to KUS. KUS is a high end producer of uh, Syrahs up in Washington State. Um, the guy has uh, a really really good reputation for some you know some really fine high end premium wines. His 2015 vintage, I mean, basically he got some dud corks from his supplier. And um, the the corks, once they were put in the bottle, they um, they leaked this uh, silicon oily type of film um, it, it particles into the wine. They discovered it right away to their credit. Some of the wines that they shipped out from the 2015 uh, vintage, they just gave all the money back to the customers. You know, I mean, it's all about take care of the customer at that point. So that's what they did. They filed a claim with their insurance company, and uh, the insurance company um, is trying to get the money from uh, their cork um, distributor, and that's what's going on. But I, I find it interesting that uh, you know there's a lot of finger pointing going on. But uh, basically, <laughs> Lafitte Cork, for whatever reason, you know, I don't I don't understand why they wouldn't just make. Just make this go away. I don't understand why they're why they're allowing it to, to get in the press and, and be out there because it's got to be really really bad for business, I would think. Your thoughts, Bill? Uh, I I agree a hundred percent. I mean, it's just <laughs> you know. So your your uh, customer contacts you and says there's there's your your product your cork product is expelling pieces of 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 wax into my wine. This didn't happen before. Now it's happening. You would think you might want to check that out as a supplier. Just saying. I'd... Yeah. They, well, they checked it out. It's just yeah, they, they yeah keep keep bottling. It's fine. <laughs> so I mean, it's just weird that the the, the winery uh, you know give, gives full reimbursements to all their their customers. And I mean, I I'm sure that you know. Christian, um, the owner of this wine, he doesn't even want any of this to even get out or anything. Oh, he just yeah. wants it to go away. Yeah, no. But I, yeah. Why would why would they not? Why would the cork company not just go ahead and just pay him pay him for the cork? I mean, they yeah. can't win this, dude. It's it's documented that the that the the wines were contaminated. <laughs> it's damning when you have a laboratory report. <laughs> is that what it is yeah <laughs> the very bottom paragraphs is you know there's a there's a, <laughs> particulates found in the wine include cork dust coatings and fibers Ugh. i don't uh, yeah they're cooked man yeah so. it's yeah it's um well now you know the other thing this does you start digging into this is this happening all the time are we you know, are all, 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 
all, mm-hmm. all corks and the bottling process secreting the stuff into the wine that we don't even know about, which is probably true. There's got to be small, and it may not be very big particles, but. Oh, well, Bill, I wasn't thinking about that, but now you got me going. Well, I mean, do you think about yeah, it? I put bottles and I see like cork dust. But I mean, if it if it's in, if it's harming the integrity of the wine, I mean, you can't have that as a winemaker. I mean, you work all year, and years after that year, and you know, three years later, you're releasing this product, and you know, it's it's essentially spoiled. Yeah, they there was a this article also says in nineteen there were the the Cork Quality Council did a study of sixty filtered wines by uh, wineries of all sizes. And there were presence of particulates, but they said that uh, yeah. it it shouldn't it shouldn't affect the wine. Who knows? I mean that you know that's an industry group industry study. Who knows what the real deal is? And as we know, as we as we know from our own investigation, there's all kinds of shenanigans that go on in the production of wine, no matter what size the winery is. I distinctly yeah, yeah, remember really, a yeah. picture of a bag of sugar hanging over a tank um, in a small winery, <laughs> to which you said, I'm pretty sure I know what winery that is. Um, and yeah. it's like, oh, yeah. okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's a margin. It's a business with small margin, and anything you can do that won't alter the taste of your product, which will affect its sales, why wouldn't you do that, especially if you can get away with it? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot of getting away with it. We got a lot of those stories. Well, hey, hey, real quick, I wanted to talk about um, language on wine labels. Yeah. Because earlier this morning, I was was tweeting back and forth with a guy in Italy about um, the Grand Selezione uh, classification for uh, Chianti classical wines. And, you know, we'd go down a big hole if I started talking about that. But there is an article that was posted in the wine enthusiasts which talks about the difference between a state bottled and single vineyard wines and i and i i find it 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 really interesting because they both have you know a state has a really nice ring to it if you look on a a bottle of wine and it says you know a state it's like oh that's that sounds pretty good and a state bottled has a nice ring to it too you know so the difference between those two is 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 quite big um here in california if you have grapes from a single vineyard i mean you could obviously you could just call it a single vineyard wine and that would denote that it's special in a way um a state um on a on a a label in california just means that the winery controls 100 percent of the farming so the grapes can be from different plots of land um, uh, as long as they're like in the same county. So you could have a you could have grapes growing in Occidental, and you could have grapes growing in um, near San Pablo Bay, and you could still bottle that wine as an estate wine. Um, it's not really a legally regulated term, so. To your point, Bill, it's kind of a it's a it's a marketing term that could be used in a bad way. A state bottled is a completely different term, and a state bottled is a legally defined term. And typically, what that means is, or what it means, definitely means is that the wine uh, has to be made and bottled 
at the producer's winery. And I'll, I'll come back to that point in a second. <laughs> and the grapes have to be owned or controlled by the producer. And they all have to be in the same viticulture area. So you can't say this wine is a state bottled and the grapes are some grapes in the wine are from Occidental and some are from San Pablo Bay. That's, that's essentially the difference. Um, a lot of wine gets trucked around. So it's made in one spot. It, it could be made in Sonoma Valley and then it could be trucked over to Sebastopol to be bottled. That's where you can't use the term <laughs> state bottle. So, uh, people get, uh, it, you know, it's just really confusing, and it, it's it's kind of sad that it's those two terms are almost can be used interchangeable. It kind of comes to mind for me. It's the same thing with uh, when when you see on the bottles these days, the big thing is sustainable. I know I'm getting off track a little bit here. No, but, but that's okay. It's all about wine labeling. It's what yeah. does sustainable mean? <laughs> yeah, you get what does you that see mean? Sustainable. And most people think, I mean, there's all these labels for sustainable and you natural think, wine. Well, sustainable that means it's that means it's organic. I mean, that's a, you know, there's that connection, sustainable, organic. They're kind of like it's there is that connection, right? Marketing wise, would you not agree? I agree. So, but it's vague. Two I agree. Totally different things. Completely. <laughs> what does that mean? They're completely different. Yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to, um, when you're out there um, and you're looking at wines and you see a state and you see a state bottle and you see single vineyard, there's definitely a, a big difference between the two. We'll post an article. It was a, it's a pretty good article by Emily um, Saladino talking about the differences. And yeah. I, I found that, found that kind of interesting. Uh, just real quickly, what's going on in Chianti is, in Tuscany is, um, they got a ton of wine that they're trying to sell out of the Tuscan region. That's Sangiovese, this Chianti. And there's now there's three different levels. If that's not confusing enough, you know, like, Hey, I want to just go find a nice bottle of Chianti. Yeah, you can't do that. There's Chianti, Classico, Normale. There's a whole bunch of different regions of Chianti. There's Chianti, Classico, Reserva. And now they're on top of that in the last five or six years, there's a Chianti, Classico, Gran Selezione. So if that doesn't confuse you enough, the Grand Selezione new, um, um, that new designation, they're fighting with the people that make the lower class, in theory, Chianti Classico Normale. And they're putting Grand Selezione on their labels. So the whole thing is just like it's blown up and it's gone crazy. So do you have but a, it's, it's really interesting. So do you have a Grand Selezione Normale now? You can't. You can, apparently. <laughs> Have you ever had That's any of that? Sense. Have you ever had any of that? Maybe there'll be some. Yeah, the, the thing about the Grand Selectione wines is um, the, the reason that they came up with the category, I, I believe, you know, is to please the bankers. Because if you have Grand Selectione <laughs> on your label, it almost doubles the price of the wine. Uh, even though, you know, production wise, they're not a whole bunch of differences. There's a little bit more aging, and there's a little, little bit more site-specific needs that need to be met. But mm. For in the most general, production-wise, yeah, there's not a whole, whole bunch of, there's not a real big difference. You got to hold the wine a little bit longer, and that's about it, really. Interesting. So, uh, yeah, maybe we'll, maybe we should we'll, move on. <laughs> well, maybe we'll have to, some to say. No, I was going to maybe I'll have the just, opportunity to try some of this stuff at the Trevi Carry. I don't know if there'll be some of these uh, 
Chianti Gran Selezione and Gran Selezione Normale. That would be very interesting to try. Very interesting yeah, well, to talk to the producers too to see what they yeah, the, see what they how they feel about all this. It'd be good. Well, I think if you're a, if you're a big producer, you're feeling pretty good about it because you got a a pretty good um, selection of wines that you can choose from that you could slap this label on. If you're a smaller pr producer, you're probably pretty bitter. <laughs> That's what I would say in general because you know if you only make so much wine, you know you. You're probably already making a wine that's supposed to be a top wine anyway. I mean, before this uh, Grand Selectione even came around, you, you know, you had smaller growers that were, they would have their prized plots that they would set aside and ferment separately from their other stuff and make special bottlings. So it really didn't, it's a classification that, you know, you could arguably, one could arguably say that really didn't even need to be made. It's just that's what I got I'm gonna on that. It. Yeah. Um, you want to you want to do a little wine fraud and then and, and wrap it up? Yeah, we, well, got we, some, uh, we should definitely do our wine, our uh, um, our, our crime report here. And we'll <laughs> we'll start we'll, we'll start with uh, we'll start with the um, um, with this wine fraud story. So the the Italian police, twenty eight and Don raids twenty eight premises on the twenty second of January. Evidently, these people are doing um, some type of wine fraud. So I read this. I'm really not sure what's going on. <laughs> okay, it's very Italian. I'll, I'll break it. It's very <laughs> very Italian. I'm really not sure. It's like it's just so convoluted. But so on. are you reading the? Uh... You reading the drinks drinks business article? Which yeah. one are you reading? Yeah. Well, I looked at, I read both okay. of them, and I they, yeah, it was even more confusion reading the two articles. And I'm I'm just so, like, okay, somebody's taking wine in, labeling it incorrectly, and and selling it as another thing. Yeah, that's fraud. Yeah, that's uh, that that is that's fraud. That's pretty much the yeah, net well, net of what's going on too. But it's just. <laughs> And then when I read the the and when I read okay. that the Guardia de Finanza, yeah, the tax police. So the IRS is, you know, the IRS is the Italian IRS is after them. That's just a whole new level of just I don't know what to say. Well, the whole thing is it's it's so like uh, it's almost like a, a made-for-TV movie yeah. or something, you know. Don raids at twenty-eight different homes. You know, people being handcuffed and arrested in the wine. middle of the night. Yeah, it's wine. <laughs> Somebody using with a lot the, of power or some people with a lot of power got really upset. About something. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what happened. Hey, I'm going to bust out. Yeah. Somebody... Now we're now, I, you know, we are, we're, you know, we are having a little license and fun with this story. But the net net is, is that there was a fraud ring and we're. Um, not unlike the, not unlike the story that we, 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 I think it was Red and Variety. I can't remember the guy's name who was the big wine fraudster here in the U.S. He'd become sort of a famous person uh, in the wine circles, but he was like, you know, taking bottles from a restaurant of high-end wine and then refilling them. I can't remember the guy's name, but he got oh, caught. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's about Rudy. Yeah. yeah. 
I can't, yeah. you know, this is sort of a similar kind of thing in terms of what they were doing. Well, not, well, I disagree. It's not similar. We're talking, we're talking like a cooperative, dude. <laughs> we're talking. So we're they talking scaled it. All right. So they scaled it up. Gallons of wine. So they scaled it up. Yeah, it's, it's scaled up quite a bit. Yeah. Let's see if I can find how much uh, wine they're talking about here. Um, they're talking about vintages from uh, 2018. And they're talking about 1.2 million liters of wine. I think that's a pretty good amount of wine. Uh, yeah. First off, this, the, the lead story, I'm reading the um, story off of... Um, uh, managers uh, wine business international and they got a picture and they got a picture of the guardia de finanza and then they have like it's like a dog like the, sniffing out like a, a drug dog they have the wine dog <laughs> not a drug dog the wine dog are you serious yeah i saw that that's the first thing it was my reaction and then the that is pretty that's pretty funny. yeah and the article in the drinks business i like they used large quantities of sugar additives and prohibited grape varietals. Yeah, well, what? the what? one thing that the Italians are uh, pretty uh, pretty serious about is each region has they've, they've got their they've got their recipes for all their wines. So, Otrepo Pavese wines, you know, there's a certain uh, recipe that you're supposed to follow, and you can't add. I mean. You can't add sugar to the wine. You can't chapelize the wines. Uh, so that's one of the things. And you, you can't – they're trying to – what these guys are doing is they're make, they're, they're chem, chemically making wines that, that taste good. And then they're selling them. Um, Otropo Pavese is a region. Uh, it's south of uh, Milan. And all of these wines, most of them probably never even left Italy. They're probably poured in all the – you know, the trattorias and, and um, bistros all throughout Italy and all the bars. That's probably where this wine went. What I find interesting about this whole article is that um, the people, the people that were arrested, I mean, this is nothing new. Uh, just a, a few years since the last invasion, uh, investigation of false DOC wines in Otrepo Pavese, there were 200 people last time that were uh, actually uh, arrested just a few years ago. And uh, this uh, the spokesman for the Guardi says, uh, lessons have not been learned. Huh. <laughs> Sums it up. Yep, pretty much. That's great. Yeah, you can't add sugar. You can't add additives. You know, you can't mix up grapes that aren't supposed to be used. And they, they did all this just to probably increase the production uh, volume so they could just sell more of the wine. That's that's what they're doing. You know, we didn't get enough grapes off our menu, so we'll bring some grapes in from somewhere else and we'll sell them on this label. Because the wines are probably – these particular wines, although we probably don't see them in the States that often, are probably pretty popular for that area. Yeah. So that's what's going on. It's all about making a little bit more money. And they got, they got busted. Yeah, I. So, all kidding and joking aside, I think one of the uh, the thing that struck me the most about this is the scale of the fraud. <laughs> I mean, to your point, yeah. I mean it was a uh, it was I would say it's not only fraud, but it was a conspiracy. I mean, <laughs> you know, even co op, you know, doing this, it was pretty um, pretty amazing. And it's a co-op, and you're talking about the people at the very top that are running the co-op. Yeah. You know, the chairman was arrested. Yeah. 
the chairman of the Cantina Sociale di Caneto Pavese Co-op in Otrepo Pavese, and Aldo Vinco, vice chairman. Those guys were arrested. These are like the top guys of yeah. the corporation. They're but like, they were falsifying, yeah. falsifying invoices. I mean, it it that's pretty egregious. That kind of stuff. Um, and I can't, you know, I mean, how much money were we talking about that they were making by doing this? You know, was it worth it in terms of the amount of money? I mean, maybe if the business, you know, they had to do it to keep the business rolling, that'd be one thing. But I just can't imagine. Yeah. You know, if it was tens of millions of dollars, maybe. But to have everybody, to have so many people involved too, you know, somebody's going to tell somebody something. That's going to lead yeah, to you getting investigated, get right? I mean, at this kind of scale, it's going to get out. Yeah, I just like yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't get. Like, I mean, you think he wasn't going to get caught? I mean, I just don't get it. And it, it wasn't just one person. Maybe they did think they were. It wasn't one person. No, no. That's the thing that kills me. It's like, nah. Anyway, a good story. The um, uh, the last sort of crime story, I, and and when I first read this, I thought it was kind of funny. But after reading it more than once, it uh, it's actually kind of sad. So uh, winemaker James Tobin is now oh yeah charged with uh, shooting at a neighbor a neighbor's golf cart, and it turns out that the next door neighbor to um, to uh, Tobin James Schumrich, um has a history of harassing him. I mean, and when I say hit, when I say that there's a history, um, he was arrested. The neighbor was arrested on, uh, on November 15th of 19, I think he was arrested. This is the neighbor. His name is candidate at a, at a traffic stop for, um, um, harassing behavior of Tobin. And he fled so this is a neighbor. He fled, and he was basically tracked down by a CHP helicopter, sentenced to five months, went through psychiatric evaluation, and then just continued harassing Tobin to the point where Tobin's like, I've had enough. I'm sick and tired of your golf cart driving across my property. I'm taking it out. And so Tobin shot his mm -hmm. golf cart um, and damaged a truck. So not, not only did I pull the trigger, I did not ensure that the downrange was clear. Completely clear yes. of the target. Damn it. I hit a truck. So now the next door neighbor, the, the two neighbors are both in trouble. One of them's already been in jail. That's Canada, the guy that's doing the harassing behavior. And now, you know, the person that they were harassing is now in trouble. And the net net is just sad. Um, and I think the, um, one of the, um, 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 one of the, I, I think one of the lawyers is like, you know, it's pretty sad that, that you know, it, it escalated this kind of thing. I mean, thank goodness nobody was shot, but it, I mean, this candidate guy sounds like he's pretty egregious. I mean, driving, frightening customers and employees, blocking, blocking their facility with his truck. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it's bad. But now the winemaker's in trouble. Yeah, he's in trouble. I mean, I guess. I mean, I guess you can't pull out your shotgun and, you no. know, blast away at oh, your neighbor in a golf cart. I mean, no. it's probably not 
probably shouldn't have done that. No, but it's deadly force. I, obviously, the guy was just at his yeah. wits' end with the, all of this. Uh, I, there's crazy, uh, crazy neighbor next door. Yeah, forty-three documented inc- incidents. I mean, it's, God, that's just. Yeah, awful. I mean, it's in, and so what that means is forty-three calls. That means forty-three times the sheriff had to run roll roll a uh, truck out there, roll a unit out there, for neighbors arguing with each other. And clearly, this candidate guy, by all by biting, if you read this, I mean, this guy's trespassing, harassing people. Um, threats with fire, fire, vague threats, and fired firearms from his property. I mean, what are you going to do? That's I tell a you, nut job. I, I probably would have like, hey, you're trespassing. This is it. Boom. See you later. <laughs> Threatening my family. I'd be very clear okay, about it. Like, yeah, it's very clear about deadly force on my property. Um, you know, if that's within my right in the law, I don't, I'm really not clear on the law in California. I know other places, it, you, it, you trespass on my property, I can use deadly force. I definitely would have tased his rear end. He would have had some Edison medicine at one time. Yeah. You don't yeah. think that tasing would upset him, do you? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, when you're, when you're doing, when you got a little Edison medicine and you're doing the, you know, Edison disco, if you do that a couple of times, maybe you won't do it anymore. So. But yeah, it's pretty pathetic, and it is kind of funny. I mean, it's you know, what is this guy? Th- he lives next door to a winery. What is he thinking? I don't know. It's very strange, man. It's super very strange. strange. Um, I get I that got. that 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 uh, article is just so so bizarre, man. I don't even have any words. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just yeah. I can't even follow up on anything you said. Correct. Correct. <laughs> All right. Well. well. Um, Let's uh, let's wrap it up, Bill. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff uh, still on the on the dock here. We could talk about. Oh, uh, we can go on. Well, uh, what we should do is wrap it up and just make a commitment to keep it going next weekend. Okay, okay, that's good. Yeah, we're time crunched, so um, we don't have any. Uh, I don't have any wine recos, but uh, you know, if you're in Sonoma County, it's beer season. As right. uh, we started out to podcast, it's beer season. Yep. Uh, and we'll have some, I will actually post a few wine recommendations, um, um, uh, uh, link it, link it up with our, the podcast. So, but just not going to talk about them right now. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Hey, you can hit Al up on the Twitters at Vino 101 net. He's an active participant in the conversation of the wine world. You can always leave us a message, uh, on our blog, post a comment on the podcast, um, tell a friend. If you enjoy what you hear, please tell a friend, share our podcast with them. You can email us at info at vino101.net. And uh, thanks a lot for listening. Cheers. Thanks, everybody. Cheers. Cheers.